Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Dave Dunlap, we've had him here before, commended back in 83 from, is it Bethel back then? Back then, Frank, you and I were going to Emmaus with his wife, Faith Gessner, a long time ago. So it's got happy to have our brother Dave, and he's going to minister and share with us what God's laid on his heart this morning. Brother Dave, please. Well, good morning to each and every one of you. It's my privilege again to be with you. And yes, we go back many years. Um, I didn't know Billy, but I, my wife did. And um, I should ask her today what you are like at Emmaus Bible College. Oh, uh, You know, how that, how, you know. I knew she knew you, but uh, so she was a, she only went for one year. I think uh, you were there for three years? Oh, one year? Certificate. Certificate, yeah. that's what she did. Mm -hmm. Well, very, very, very good. Well, thank you uh, for the opportunity to come and minister the Word of God. Now, everyone is on the right side. I'm not sure what that means. The air conditioner is a little better on this side. Uh, a little sparse on this side, but he's over here. It's just like our chapel, just like our chapel. We have, a, um, we have a modular building, so we have three units in one. Each has an air conditioner, okay? Some are better than others. The one on this side where the, where the window is going outside is older, and the sunlight comes in. It's not so good for the air conditioning over here. So very sparse over here, but over here it's newer, and so, just like our chapel, I feel, I feel right at home uh, this morning. Well, open our Bibles, please. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Judges. And I want to share with you something that I don't usually speak on, but uh, the Lord has sort of led me this direction. And um, I entitled my message this morning, The Amazing Potential of a Small Church. Now, most people would say, you know, we want a big church. Big churches are what everybody wants. No one wants a small church. Everybody wants a big church. I'm not sure that's correct. And by the end of our time this morning, if you think that now, um, I hope that you might think a little differently by the end of our time this morning. Is big always better? Now, when I was younger, when I was in high school, before Billy went to college, when I was in high school, we took computer science. Back in the 1970s, I graduated in 1975, 19, early 1970s. So we had a huge mainframe computer in the, in, in the high school. It took up a whole room, and you could only use punch cards. It could only do about four or five functions. Now, I have over there, um, I didn't, didn't bring it up here, I have an Apple cell phone. Only this big. It can do probably 1,500 more functions than it could with that mainframe computer. Uh, that was gigantic. Big is always not better. Now, I have a friend. He's got a little John boat. He likes to go fish off just in the St. Petersburg area. There's some inlets. He fishes among the cypress trees in there. And he loves to go there. This little boat. Now... If he had a 100-foot yacht, would it be a good, would bigger be better? No, bigger would not be better to do the kind of thing he wants to do. Bigger is not always better. 
You know, if you had a huge tank and I wanted to go from Tampa to, to Claremont Bible Fellowship, it would not be the best choice to, as a vehicle to drive to get here. Bigger is not always better. And I want to think with you about uh, the amazing potential of a small church. I don't know if you think as I do, but I think God designed churches to be small because I think they're more effective because I think that, he got, that there's so many more purposes that can be accomplished in a small church. Now, I don't mean a small church that's not active. I don't mean a small church that's not functioning properly. It's not small for the sake of being small. But I think a small, active, well-functioning, effective church is the best kind of church that you can have. That's what God wants. That's what we see all through the New Testament. We do see early on, we see 5,000 getting saved and thousands later getting saved. But God breaks that all up. And he breaks up through persecution in chapter 8 and verse 1. And he sends them out through Asia Minor and small bodies of believers in different places. And then we, we come to the New Testament. We find for the majority, we find smaller churches. And so small, I believe, smaller, well-functioning. I don't mean five people when I mean small. Uh, it could be 100 people, 125, it can be 80, it can be 50. It all varies on your your. your particular area and the population in your area, but small churches are God's design, and I think small churches are more effective. I did a little research, and I found that uh, 90% of all churches are under 200 people. Only 10% are larger than 200. 70% of all churches are 75 people or less, according to George Barna's surveys. If you're 76, you're, you're larger than the 70% of all evangelical churches, 75 or less. Uh, George Verwer, who was, uh, I think he's the retired now, but the head of Operation Mobilization, a missionary organization that uh, sent teams out into different uh, gospel fields, uh, mission fields, he had a saying, and uh, he would say this. He would say, Mighty minorities move mighty majorities. And he felt that small gospel teams could be very, very, very effective in reaching large numbers of people. Small group. I like to play basketball, and years ago there was a basketball coach. He's passed away now, passed away of cancer. His name was uh, uh, Jimmy Valvano. Uh, a lot of people just called him Jimmy V., and he was the basketball coach for the University of North Carolina State University. They won the national college national championship one time, but he was a good coach. They were always contenders. And he had a saying, I, he may have been Roman Catholic, I don't, I don't think he was saved, but here's his well-known saying he would often say, and he, he spoke of it in terms of teams, in terms of players. He would say this. He said, God must love ordinary people. How do I know? Because he made so many of them. But God wants to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. That was his model. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. He was thinking in terms of basketball. But I want to change it around a little bit. God can do, God must love smaller churches. How do I know? He made so many of them. But God wants to do extraordinary things through ordinary churches. 
the smaller churches. And I believe that. Now we're in chapter 7 of the book of Judges. And uh, in chapter 7 we see a principle. And I think this principle is carried all through the Bible. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God seems to always like to use small groups. Now why is that? Why does he always want to use small groups? We see that here in this chapter. Now, how large, look at verse 12 for me. I was almost going to ask Ed to read all the way to verse 12, but I don't want to read too many verses. But look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, The Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east lie along in the valley like grasshoppers for a multitude. Their camels were without number as were the sand by the seashore for multitude. So this is a vast number of the enemy coming against Gideon and the force of Israel. I want to suggest to you they were roughly around 135,000 against eventually 300 Israelites. Now turn with me to chapter 8, just for a moment. Chapter 8 and verse 10. Some of the leaders of this group that were coming against Israel was Ziba and Zaluma. And look what it says in verse 10. Now, Ziba and Zalmuna and the hosts that were with him were about 15,000. That's what were left after Gideon and his forces defeated them. But what did they have before? Look at the same verse near the end of the verse. Those who are left of all the hosts of the children of the east, for there fell 120,000 men who drew the sword. So there was 135,000 who were laying nearby, as it says here, along the valley like grasshoppers. We're going to suggest there was 135,000 minimum. And here the Lord comes and says to Gideon, Gideon is sending out the call for those of all the tribes to come and help him. And 32,000 come. 10% of all the other, uh, uh, 10% of the number of uh, what the enemy had. And he says here in verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. Gideon is looking at the valley and saying, Lord, Lord, I'm not sure I'm going along with this. Look at all they have. And I have a very little percentage of what they have. The people who are with you are too many. Lest people say, lest they vaunt themselves and say with my own hand, I have saved. It says, my own hand has saved me. Pride would come in, and self-interest would come in, and uh, and they would say, you know, um, the Lord was involved, but you know, I, I, I did, I did most of the work here. It's a famous basketball story. I'll just mention this for a moment. So there was a there was a player on Michael Jordan's team back in the 1980s, named Mike Leverington. One day in a basketball game, Mike Leverington scored two points. And Michael Jordan scored 62 points. So a sports writer saw him by himself after the game in the locker room. 
So I decided to go up to him and I said, well, how'd the game go tonight? He said, fantastic. Fantastic game. He said, Michael Jordan and I, we combined for 64 points. <laughs> I think that's kind of what is, is, is going on here. Lest you say, you know, I had a part in this. You know, it was because of what I did. And so the Lord says, those that are with you are too many. So he says to them, the Lord says to Gideon, tell those who are fearful, fearful of heart, to go home. 22,000 go home. They weren't going to be much help anyway in battle. 22,000 go home, 10,000 left. Verse 4, the Lord says to Gideon, yet the people who are with you are too many. The Lord, look at all those soldiers along the valley. Too many. Take them down, have them drink water. Some who put their faces right into the water and lap water like dogs, they go home. 9,700 9, go home. Those who kneel and cup water and drink the water out of their hands, they stay. 300. And go into battle. And God gives them a great, great victory. Is there something? So my question is, is there something about the smallness, even despite the pride that can take place? Is there something in the smallness that God loves to use when it comes to small churches? And I think it is. I think there's a principle. You see this all through the Bible. Why did God choose 12 disciples? Why did the Lord Jesus choose 12 disciples to turn the world upside down? Chapter 17 of the book of Acts says these men have come and they've turned the world upside down. Now 12 plus other disciples who were saved, but he began with 12. Now we know that he had 500 at one time before his resurrection. Why didn't he use the, the, five, the 500 or 5,000? Why did he start with 12? When you go to the chapter 3 of, of Nehemiah, we find a small body of workers. I don't know how many. Maybe there is 40 different sections of the wall, one or two or three people. Uh, in some cases, in each of those sections, he may have had 100 people repairing the wall, and it was repaired in 52 days. Why did he use such a small number of people? Why were only 12 disciples? Why were there 12 tribes? Where were there 12 sons of Jacob? Why did he use such small amounts of people? Why did Gideon only have 300 soldiers who were fighting with him? Why did God seek to use small groups of people? There's something the Lord desires in that. And I think that they're more effective. They can do more. They can accomplish more. They can do more of what God wants to be done in a smaller group and a smaller assembly, a smaller church of believers. God loves to use David, 17-year-old, weak, inexperienced, young man, somewhat experienced, fighting a, a bear and a lion, to fight the great enemy. He had all of the, of all the soldiers of Saul, but he uses one to defeat the enemy. You see it over and over and over again. Moses and Caleb and Joshua leading and being the effective team uh, to lead Israel into the promised land. Why does God love to use small groups? Because I think they're more effective. Because there's something in that small group that he loves to use.
small bodies of believers will stretch you. Being in a small body, if you're in a large church of, we have a church in Tampa of reputed to be 10,000 people, Idlewild uh, Baptist Church. The official name is Exciting Idlewild Baptist Church. Uh, large church on 100 acres of property. A lot of people go there. We have a church that opened the doors called Grace Family Church. They have a, an extension in Land Lakes. They bought the Walmart, uh, which had closed down. And the first day they opened in their first service, they had 1,500 people. But I want to ask you, is that the most effective church? Are those 1,500 people being used as effectively as possible? I know some that go to Idlewild, and they're not involved in the really function of the ministry at all. At all. And sometimes they don't even go. The majority of the time they don't go. They're nice believers, but they don't go. You know, it's a, it's a hassle to go to Idlewild Baptist Church because you're probably a mile away from the building. They've got trams to take you to the front door because it's a long way to walk. Then you've got to wait to get on the tram, and then you've got to get out of there as fast as possible because another group's coming in. But are you effective? Are the people who are there effective? Is that what God wants? I'm not sure that's what God wants. Small bodies believe will be stretched like never before. You know, when I was, uh, I played high school basketball, and one of the things in conditioning, God, the, the, the coach wanted to stretch the basketball players, wanted to condition us. First day of practice, we didn't shoot one basket. We didn't shoot one layup. We just ran. We ran for two hours straight. We did Every kind of, we ran around the court, we ran the foul line, half court, foul line on the other end of the court, all the way back and forth, ran, 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 ran. And uh, next practice, majority of the kids who came out for trials didn't come for the next practice. <laughs> but we had, we had a particular, a particular um, exercise we had to do. It was called Suicide 17. So you know the sideline of a basketball court. I mentioned a story before, and uh, every coach in North America uses this drill because they all told me that they do this. Suicide 17. Seven, you have to run sideline to sideline 17 times within 45 seconds. You know how? I think it's 45 feet. Now, when we heard that, it's impossible. No way. We can't do it. No one can do it. So we started doing it. And pretty soon, we did it every day in practice. Sometimes we did it three or four times in practice. And I said, it's impossible, and I wind up doing it every day in practice. Because you're conditioned. You can't do it the first time you do it, but you can be conditioned to do that, and you can do it in less than 45 seconds. And that happens in the local church. You know, in the local church, the Lord stretches us. Stretches us like never before. Stretches us in prayer. Stretches us in evangelism. Stretches us in sharing the word of God. Stretches us in understanding how to share the gospel with unsaved people. Stretches us in a lot of different, different ways. We have uh, recently at Land Lakes Bible Chapel on Wednesday nights, someone suggested us do this, and maybe it's good or bad, I don't know, but we, we kind of like it right now, is we break up into small groups on Wednesday night. And uh, with three or four people, young people, 
uh, women with women and men with men, and young kids and older kids. And it's great to see a 14-year-old kid pray with his father praying, and his grandfather praying in the same group. Great to see Jacob Bott, 14 years old, praying. And it's great to see these young kids praying. We do it for 45 minutes. You know, the leaders just can't pray for 45 minutes. It, you don't have other people praying to fill the 45 minutes, and especially in three or four people in a group. And so it's great to see that you stretch young people praying, everybody praying. There's stretching that goes on in the local church. You know, you may have to, in a local church like this and like ours, you might have to visit somebody in the hospital that's, that's very sick. Now, you can't go to the hospital too often now, but in normal circumstances, go to the hospital for someone who's very sick. Maybe someone who's dying of cancer, dying of something else. I remember when I was first saved in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, I was zealous and I was energetic. I was saved in New Jersey, but later on I was in Pennsylvania. And uh, one of the others said, you know, why don't you visit this lady who is under hospice, she's home, and her name was Fran. She eventually did pass away, so I went to see her. She had a hospital bed in her, her room, and I went to see her, and, and uh, so we're talking, I had a little chit-chat, and the first thing she said to me, is she said, is it all right to pray to the Lord because you're in so much pain that he would take your life? Oh, that's not the everyday question that you, you come across. You know, and for me, I was a new believer, and I was like, I was like wow, what, what do I do here? I stumbled through that somehow. I don't know. We got into something else. But that began to stretch me. I began to go home and think about that question. And then later on in the same visit, I said, well, let's read some scripture. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's move on here. <laughs> let's read some scripture. And so we did that. And she said, she said I'd like you to read a passage from the book of Job. Well, I'm not, I didn't want to do that. I'm, I'm thinking of Psalm 23 and, you know, John 14 and my father's house are many mansions. You know, if it was not so, I would have told you. I, I want that uplifting stuff. The book of Job. And we read the book of Job and we talked and, and I was stretched more. I think I was stretched more than her. I don't know if I helped her at all. But I left there being stretched out as far as I possibly could. Now, that's not going to happen at a large church. And that's what a lot of people will do in a smaller church. It will happen in your life because God stretches us. So in the future, we can be able to minister to people in ways that we never thought we ever could. And that's what happens. God uses us, stretches us in different ways. You might be asked to speak at a funeral. It's not just the elders or not just the full-time worker or the missionary. It might be, you might have to speak at a funeral. And you're in front of 200 people, and half of them are unsaved and family members, and there's a loved one that's passed away, and you have to share the gospel, you have to comfort them, you've got to speak from the scriptures. Again, you're stretched. You might be, have the opportunity of performing a wedding. You might have to do premarital counseling. You're stretched. You've got to be able to ask question, answer questions that the couple may have. Again, an area that you may be stretched in. Over and over again, these kinds of things. You might be asked to to speak one or two times a month. When I was first saved, I was in an assembly that had 17 people, if they all came. There were 17 in the address book. 17 individuals. And um, 
Oftentimes on a Wednesday night, there were five. Sunday morning, 12, 13 people. And, uh, but the Lord began to work. Eventually, over a period of years, there were 50 people there. Um, some got saved. Some were baptized. And, uh, but I remember early on, on a, in, in August, that I was there. The elder, one of the elders came to me and said, you know, um, I'd like to have you speak uh, on the month of, every Sunday on the month of August. I think they figured a lot of people are on vacation. Other people are going to be away. No harm. Dave could do no harm if we ask him to speak, you know, every Sunday in the month of August. And then they thought they were helping me out. They said, why don't you speak on, um, on John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's those five chapters, and, you know, why don't you speak on those, those, those chapters? No, those aren't the easiest chapters in the, in the Bible. A lot of tough things in those chapters. But sometimes the Lord stretches you in that. I did that. I did that. And that was hard. That was difficult. I didn't preach very many times, and now I'm preaching five times. Uh, granted, there weren't many people in the audience <laughs> that August, but still, I preached that five times. I was stretched in that. In a small assembly, that's what happens. People grow in a small assembly. God builds up strong leaders in a small assembly. That would never happen in a larger church. Let me share something with you. Small assemblies build visionary and strong leaders. Over the years, I've put together kind of a list of, of evangelical leaders uh, that began and got their initial training and teaching in a small assembly. Tony Evans grew up in a small assembly. I know people who went to Bible camp and were counselors with Tony Evans. Chester Chambers from the Tampa area counseled with Tony Evans. He learned a lot in a small assembly, in a small assembly in, in Baltimore. Now he went to Bible college later on and all of that. He got his first training, his first teaching, first exposure in a small assembly. Louis Palau was raised and got his early teaching and experience in small assemblies in Argentina. Later on, he came to the United States, went to a Bible college, but his early training wasn't a small assembly. Harold Wildish went from England to go to, to, go to uh, Ecuador to be a missionary in South America. Climate didn't agree with his wife. He went to visit some people, some friends, some believers he had in Jamaica. Went to Jamaica and never left Jamaica. When he went there, I don't know how many of the assemblies there were, but when he passed away and finished most of his ministry, there were 80 assemblies, hundreds upon hundreds were saved through the preaching and teaching of Harold Wildish. We had a picnic yesterday, and we've come in contact with uh, a family from Jamaica, and uh, she grew up in assemblies in, in, in Kingston. And um, one of the believers in our assembly were on a flower show at a garden shop, and they met her. And we were talking at the picnic yesterday, and we are talking about Harold Wildish, and how the person talking to her, her father was saved through the preaching of Harold Wildish, and her grandfather was saved through the preaching of Harold Wildish, and how many people uh, were saved through the teaching and preaching of Harold Wildish. He got his early training in a small assembly. Jim Elliott got his training in a small assembly. On and on it goes that so many people got their training in small assemblies. They got their training leaders 
Bible teachers, Bird Elliott, who went to Peru. There's a new book out on the life of Bird Elliott. And uh, Bert Elliott went to Peru. Ray's got his training in a small assembly. Eventually started 150 assemblies in Peru, in the jungles of Peru. God uses small assemblies to work and build up and equip strong visionary leaders that have done great, amazing things uh, in the world today. Small assemblies, that would not have happened in a larger assembly. In a larger assembly, they would have you sit in the back row and uh, just wait. Maybe you could teach Sunday school, maybe help a vacation Bible school, uh, and then you wait and go off to Bible college. You usually would not get any exposure. But in a small assembly, everybody who's willing, everyone who's desires, we get them to speak. Young man yesterday who was baptized, we had a baptism yesterday. He's been coming on Wednesday nights, he's been praying. And I said to him, baptized uh, yesterday, I said, if you want, you don't have to, but if you want, you could share something at the baptism before you get baptized. He spoke for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I wasn't sure when he was going to stop. Uh, <laughs> but that was great. We gave him the opportunity. He took that opportunity, and he shared basically this. He said this in different ways. People came to me and talked to me. They didn't know if I was a Christian or not. I told them I was a Christian, but they kept on talking to me and sharing the gospel to me. He said this, take the opportunities to share the gospel with people, even if they tell you they're a Christian, because they might not be a Christian. He says, I thought I was a Christian. And those who talked to me, told, I told them I was a Christian. But as they shared the gospel, I discovered I wasn't a Christian. I got saved. And he took 10 minutes to kind of say that in different ways. I don't know what's going to happen with this young man, whether he's going to turn into being someone who can speak on a regular basis, but he's begun in a good way. And we're encouraged by that. God can take small assemblies and, trans- and transform whole communities. When I was in Belgium, I was a missionary in Belgium. And there is, in our province, there was one large Baptist church, about 200 people, which is very large for Belgium. A Roman Catholic country, 90% Roman Catholic. Uh, most assemblies are 20 or 30 or 40, and sometimes 50 people. We would hold our baptisms in this Baptist church. Years ago, one of our assembly missionary went into that province. There was no assembly in that province at all. Went into that province. There was a funeral. Preached the gospel at that funeral. A couple got saved. He was a medical doctor. He had contacts with different people. Soon there was a small Bible study. Soon there was an assembly in a, a central small village uh, in the province of Limburg. Pretty soon that assembly began to grow. Now there's three assemblies. A hive off from that assembly to the north and one to about 10 miles away in another direction. Pretty soon, over a period of 10 years, there's 12 assemblies in that town, in, in, that, in that province. 12 little assemblies, some 80, some 50, some 30, some 40. And four times a year, we'd have baptisms back when I was there, from the 1980s to the 1990s. God was doing great, amazing things. And we would have these baptisms, and all the different assemblies would come to this uh, Baptist church and have our baptisms. We do it Sunday afternoons. We would have frequently 25 people being baptized. 
four times a year, 100 people, sometimes a little over 100 people. Now, I guarantee you that Baptist church did not baptize 100 people a year. It was large, but if they baptized five to six to seven a year, that would have been a lot. But here you have 12 small assemblies seeing three and four and five people saved, and in total, 25 people baptized. And then another couple of months passed, another 25 people. If you are able to get Operation, I'm sorry, okay, the, that the world may know, it's a, it's a series of books on assembly missionary work in the world. If you got Western Europe, you go to Belgium, you'll find in those years, from the 19, early, uh, late 70s to the 1990s, 900 people were baptized in my province. 900 people through 12 assemblies and three full-time workers. Now, is there something in being small, something in having a lot of people being stretched and involved in teaching? There was also, of those 12 assemblies, there were 25 Bible studies in homes that went on in that province. And people got saved through that whole process. And Bible teachers were raised up from those 25 different uh, Bible studies that took place. And I was in many of those Bible studies. There'd be 10 and 12 and 15 people in those home Bible studies. Small churches can transform a whole community, a whole province. 900 people can get saved. 900 people can influence a lot of people. I want to read something to you. And then we'll close in prayer my time. I think I got three extra minutes this morning, according to Billy. Um, so I want to read a little something. This, this was found in Israel My Glory magazine. Not a missionary magazine. It's mostly about Israel. But they had an article about China in Israel My Glory. And they said, I want to post something to you. They said, consider China. Ever since missionaries went there in 1853, the church began to grow. By 1900, there were 2,500 missionaries, a lot with, uh, with China Inland Mission. They had one time had 800 missionaries themselves. And there was 100,000 Christians. Over the next 50 years, Christians continued to grow, the numbers continued to swell, and there are 700,000 Christians. But then in 1953, 100 years later, almost to the day, Mao Zedong came to power, communists came to power, and they expelled all the missionaries and tried to close all the churches. Today, so people thought, well, that's the end of the church in China. It was a good story. It was a good history. God had done some great things, but that must be the end of the church. No missionaries, no teachers, no workers, no Bible schools, no seminaries. Everything is shut down, except they kept on meeting in small churches with around, on an average, 30 people per house church and small church. Today, 12% of China are believers. 12%. 163 million people today. There are more Christians in China than in North America under no no persecution in, in North America for the most part. I want to read a quotation The last 60 years of communist domination have produced explosive church growth in China. Mostly small churches, 
no seminaries, no Bible bookstores, no radio stations, no all the kind of things we have to support the church. Just small churches, raising up leaders, sharing the gospel, teaching the best they can. He goes on to say in this quotation, today there are more than more Christians in China than in the United States and Canada combined. Though the number of Christians percentage is only 12% of 1.4 million Christian, uh, people, still the Spirit of God is producing tremendous, tremendous growth in China. I saw in the back uh, by the bathroom, we got a book about Watchman Nee, uh, Normal Christian Life. Watchman Nee uh, was born in 1901. He uh, was saved in the 1930s, began to preach and teach, and uh, he went to prison in 1951, and he died in 1973, uh, 20, uh, 20 plus years in, in prison. When he was in prison, there were 400 what was called little flock churches, assemblies, that met in a, a, a house church, a small group uh, kind of way, 400, mostly, mostly in Shanghai. Today, if you were to get Operation World magazine, look up China, and they have a listing for little flock churches, you would find not 400, you would find 47,000 little flock churches with 20 million what they call adherents. They don't know how many people go to those little flock churches. Little, small, 47,000 little groups all over China is transforming whole communities. It's not a one big church that will do that. Even if there wasn't persecution, prior to persecution, they didn't have the growth that they have now through small churches. Small churches function in a proper way I think God can use them like Gideon's forces, uh, like Nehemiah's time period. God can use, like the 12 disciples, God can use small churches, small assemblies, small body of believers that are living for him, that are seeking to honor him and teach and preach and witness uh, to the best of their abilities. God can take that and transform whole, whole communities. Now, I want to close with this. <clears throat> I've got a book at home by Thomas Rainer. Thomas Rainer is a researcher for the Southern Gospel, uh, Southern, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention is the largest, largest uh, Protestant denomination in, in North America. 46,000 churches. Uh, but most of them are not growing. He will tell you that most of them are not growing, unfortunately. I want to read a quotation uh, to you from a book he wrote. And I recommend the book, if you're interested, called Simple Church. And if you read the book, you would say he's describing assemblies or small churches. But here's what he writes. Complex, large churches are struggling and anemic. As a whole, cluttered churches are not alive. Our research shows that these churches are not growing. Unfortunately, the large, busy, over-programmed church is the norm. And he argues in this book that churches should do a few things. Evangelism, teaching, missions, worship. A few things. But unfortunately, he said, some of the Baptist churches have about 50 things in most churches. There's a bus ministry, there's a youth ministry, there's a senior ministry, there's this ministry, that ministry, and everybody's got to organize something and there's so much going on 
that they're not growing. I think God loves small churches, but he wants to do extraordinary things through small churches. And I believe that's the way to reach North America, to reach Florida, to reach our communities, have a number of small assemblies. We have, a, I don't know, about 50 assemblies in Florida, but I'd love to see that tripled and quadrupled small assemblies. Don't have to be 100, don't have to have large buildings. Well, small assemblies can accomplish so much more than larger. I thank God for large churches. I'm not criticizing large churches, but I think God can do so much more through the amazing potential of a small church. Well, let's close. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. And Father, we pray that you can use this assembly and our assembly and other assemblies and other small churches all through Florida, all through North America, Father, to not be discouraged, not be looked down at their smallness, but see this is how God can use and transform whole communities and lead to many people, lead many people to the Lord Jesus. Five or six are one and five or six are another, and every assembly leading one or two or three people in a year's time or less than a year's time to the Lord Jesus. So we pray, Father, you would encourage us and strengthen us and give us a vision for our communities and help us to reach our neighbors and friends that are around about us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.